The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Doctor's Lounge. You're listening to Dr. Scott Barber on America's Web Radio. And today I have one of our favorite guests, uh, Dr. Rich McCormick. Rich, the uh, former Marine, actually not former Marine, once Marine, always Marine, naval officer, medical doctor, pilot, and a soon-to-be our next representative from the Georgia 6th. What am I, what am I leaving out there? Uh, father of seven, I think is important. Father of seven, so there's husband that. Husband of an oncologist. Husband to an oncologist, and you also used to be um, the America's... American Gladiator. American Gladiator. A lot of you people (laughs) might remember him from American Gladiator. The guy is really, truly a renaissance man. He's uh, one of my very good friends and somebody I respect immensely. He's going to do a lot of great things when he gets into the House of Representatives from the Georgia 6th. So make sure you all get out and vote for him. And he and I, we talk all the time about medicine and and other things. I left out world-class rugby player, which uh, actually I find to be one of his most important uh, qualifications. (laughs) But, um, you know, we talk about a lot of things, and you and I were talking about the state of health care, which we we often talk about, because that's what doctors used to do. We used to talk about our experiences, and that's kind of how we came up with uh, our medical practices. And slowly with this government imposition inserting itself in healthcare and creating these phony concepts like best practices, which is really just do what we tell you to do and stop being an independent thinker, because when you do that, we can't control you and we can't make money and get political power and all that stuff off you. And so one of the things that Rich is committed to, which is immensely important, and that's one of the things we try to talk about on on this show, is try to explain to you how immensely important it is for you all to maintain control of your own medical uh, decisions. Rich is going to get into uh, Congress and he's going to work on promoting the ability of doctors to practice because what you may not realize is there are a lot of regulations that are strangling the supply of, of doctors and other things, but particularly doctors. And that affects the cost of your health care. It affects the quality of your health care. It affects the availability of your health care. And so it's a really important thing uh, right now. And I think what we've seen over the last couple of years is it uh, really prevents independent thinking. If the state decides they don't want you talking about something or thinking about something or promoting something, they get right in there and they threaten your license. And next thing you know, uh, you have a compliant healthcare system that's supporting the state and not necessarily their patients. Rich, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And, and more to your point, that's where progress stalls. Anytime the government is running the show, you don't have the exceptional entrepreneurship. You don't have the exceptional acceleration of science. And, and everybody has to think the same. That's, what, that's why communism always fails. They always get outpaced by a capitalistic society where people are actually trying to get ahead of somebody else. When you're not allowed to get ahead, when you're literally regulated into compliance, uh, it slows the whole system down. What made America great to begin with is entrepreneurs who saw a better way to do something. When you have a, a compilation of states that each state gets to try something new and you get to compare and contrast styles of government and you get to see who wins. And that's why you're seeing certain states recover very quickly and certain states not recover at all uh, from this pandemic because you're seeing these blue states fall way behind. Why is that? 
because when the government gets involved, when you allow the government to rule the day, you don't make progress. You don't have the, the in the military we always say, you outpace your enemy. And when you're able to react quicker without having to worry about a head, making the decision of everything, you're always going to accelerate past the people who are looking to one agency to tell them what to do, which, by the way, is a lot of time not the right thing to do. Since the institution of the Affordable Care Act has become anything but affordable. Since the government tried to come in and step in and try to figure out how to solve COVID, you didn't have any compar- comparing or contrasting. You just had one way or the highway. <coughs> Matter of fact, a doctor who practiced medicine for 20 years gets chastised by some guy on the Internet, and the government supports that. That's, that's not medicine. That's not science. That's just government taking over things. Uh, we had physicians out there. There's a guy named uh, Jerry Williams who has an urgent care 24-7 that treated over 2,000 patients, had zero deaths, had eight hospitalizations. That's better than most physicians get. Why? Because he didn't go off the standard of care. That's why we need to make sure that we allow physicians to try things that don't always uh, aren't always supported by government. My wife was one of the first people to use Decadron during the inflammation pr- process. Why? Because she knew how Decadron works. As a scientist, as a doctor, as a very good doctor, she was told not to, but she did anyways. And guess what? The patient lived, and all of a sudden it became the standard of care, not because of her, but because of other doctors who also said, I can think for myself, thank you very much. And then we made progress. Yeah, you know, this concept in medicine, I see it more and more that uh, people sort of have this concept that we do a single study that shows something and then that's the right answer, that somehow every medical issue that we have is there's the right way and the wrong way. And that's not really how medicine is. You could get a single medical issue. You could get 10 very excellent doctors all in a room together and you'll get 10 different opinions about how to manage a, a certain disease process or injury. And none of them are wrong. It's just a different way of doing things. And a lot of it has to do with the patient's perspective. What are their religious beliefs? What are their pain tolerance? Um, How fast do they want to get back? I mean, there's so many considerations that we take into consideration when we're coming up with a treatment plan. And, you know, it's almost like when we're coming up with opposing viewpoints or even just asking questions, you know, uh, we're being censored these days. And that's one of the things that really scares me is you're seeing this and it's, listen, it's on the right and the left, how comfortable people are at silencing speech. And they use all of these terms like, uh, well, I'm censoring dangerous speech and I'm protecting you from misinformation. That's not how this works. That's not how this works. The consumer of information is the person who sifts through it all and decides what what they believe and what they don't believe based on their own experiences. And that's what's important in the competition of ideas is you say what you're able to say. I say what I'm able to say. And we talk about it. And you and I have had this experience um, with each other. Like, I love you like a brother, but do we agree on every single thing? No. You're a smart, intelligent guy and you have experiences that I don't have, but we listen to each other. And that doesn't mean that I always change your mind about what I'm thinking. It doesn't mean you always change my mind, but you have sometimes. And you've also altered the way I think. And that's because we have a free expression of ideas. And, you know, you were just talking about the one of the beautiful things about America is the 50 different states and these uh, incubation centers of democracy. You know, sometimes you don't know what will work. I mean, when I think about my life and the study of this country and the study of our institutions and things like that you can't just look something up and then you know how it how it works and and let me just kind of break this down you know when we played football back in the day you can draw a play up on the on the board and it looks great you know you cover him you block this guy go out into the end zone and it's a touchdown every time but the problem is when you actually run the play it turns out 
the guy covering the receiver is pretty fast, and the guy rushing is too big for the guy blocking, it doesn't work. And so when you run the play, you realize, okay, I made some assumptions that are not working, and so I'm going to have to change. Well, medicine and life and everything we do, it's no different. You come up with an idea based on experiences and knowledge, um, and you implement a plan. And then it doesn't work. And we see that in medicine all the time. I And I think we're good at it. I know in my, I've been in medicine almost 30 years now. Whenever I have a medical problem, I have my plan. And then because of my experience, I know if this happens, I'm going to do that. If that happens, I'm going to do this. And I mean, I got ABCD already thought out because I spent all my time thinking about this. And when my stress level gets high is when I get to E and the only thing I have left is F, that's when I'm panicking. You know what I mean? And that's kind of, you know, how we need to start running our country as well. And when we first started this show, we used to just talk about the fact that it's really about the the pros and cons of free market healthcare versus government controlled socialized medicine. And I used to think it was two honest competing ideas about what's the best way to implement care. And the more I researched this stuff, the more I realized it's not. The people who want socialized medicine, they want control for political power and for financial power. And the corporatists in this world know if they can go to the politicians and they can legislate out of existence their competition the largesse goes completely to them and and uh you know that's where we're at right now and i see it with my own experiences and we're going to talk about some of this stuff today um but uh you know one of the first things i would talk about is the certificate of need Mm. you know so a certificate of need is uh, uh where i you know i have a surgery center I can use it only for my own patients, but if I were to go down the street to my friend who's a plastic surgeon and say, hey, I got a really great center, you could use it, we could do a business deal, I'm not allowed to do that because my certificate of need only allows me to treat my patients. There's no other reason for that to be in an existence other than to protect the hospital lobby so that they can force patients into their centers and out of mine. Anti-competition, and, and to make it worse, they also get a tax break. So you as an individual owner don't have the same lobbying power as a hospital system, which, by the way, uh, is one of the problems of medicine, quite <coughs> frankly. Uh, not only do they have the unfair advantage of, of certificate of need, they also have the unfair advantage of having tax breaks that you as an individual owner don't get. That's that's the sack system. And, and now we've become this hospital system of administrators. Yep. And, and doctors have literally, once you become part of the administration, it's almost like becoming part of the party inside of uh, a government where you now become part of the problem. You get paid more than the doctors. You get to make all the decisions. And where the rubber meets the road, where, uh, and, and you can make comparisons between the athletics and stuff like that, but, but really... Um, the people who deliver the medicine have lost control of medicine. Orthopedics are one of the great resistances, if you will, in medicine is uh, actually maintaining your own practice is probably the best and cheapest way to deliver medicine where people can make a decision. You can just, you don't have to go to, to Barber Orthopedics. You can go to anywhere you want to, but man, I like that physician. He knows what he's doing. He gives me the best results. Therefore, I'm going to go to him and he's an independent contractor. Now, you don't, once you get insurance involved now, that's another problem too, right? Because like you were kind of talking about, the best plan uh, to make a comparison in the military, we always say the, it's, it's always a great plan until you meet contact. Uh, just like in football, you know, then everything goes crazy. Then you you have to be able to make decisions at a rapid rate in order to outpace your enemy once again. The best thing you can do is decentralize any decision-making con- uh, process. 
government always does exactly the opposite. That that way, when you go to the doctor, when you go to an oncologist, for example, and you need a drug that makes sense to everybody, but because the bureaucracy that's been built up by a government system that wants you to be inefficient so they can save money on healthcare, ironic, and it doesn't save money ironically. They think it does, but it delays care, so you get sicker, so you require more care down the road. That's the irony of government. Uh, and, and so my wife who wants to give you a drug can't because there's an approval process that's ridiculous or wants to get an image but can't because it's ridiculous. Uh, that's one of the problems we have with medicine. And, and I, ironically, all these government regulations, and you, you've seen it, and I'll go back to the, the pandemic is a perfect example. I know it's a sensitive subject. I know that people have literally come after my license. People are threatening entire um, practices because, oh, I said something on COVID that wasn't the same as everybody else in government. First of all, that's just wrong. That's un-American. That's against the First Amendment. That's everything that's wrong with our government to begin with. But ironically, there's no apology when we're proven right. When you see that all these draconian crackdowns in these states that have ridiculous mandates and ridiculous um, restrictions on businesses where you're arresting people, putting them in jail, who are opening their business, and then letting rapists out during the same time, nobody's apologizing for that. And then they say, oh, we're making a big difference. Well, now you start comparing these states that opened up right away to the states who didn't and have ruined their economy, literally crippled their economy, and are losing millions of people who are moving out. And guess what? There's no difference. It was a virus all along. We knew as practitioners who've been around viruses our entire life. As a matter of fact, our society's been around viruses all our life. We thought this would be some sort of novel way of virus working. It is a novel virus. It ran its course. We found out that you can do all these constrictions. We saw. I listened to a state senator who literally said, I did everything right. This is a real disease. It killed people. I didn't go anywhere. I wore my mask. I washed my hands. And I still got it. Exactly. Thank you, Miss Senator. You just proved my point that it is a virus. It's going to run its course. We do our best. But by shutting down the economy, by not allowing people to make decisions, you hurt your economy. If you allow people to make good decisions, you're going to have the, essentially the same outcome as what we proved. And that's a scientific fact. Now people are admitting it, but they'll never apologize for it. But if they listen to the alternative view and give people a choice, at least you have the ability to pursue your happiness like the Constitution, like the preamble, guarantees us, actually, sorry, God guarantees us, that reaffirms that guarantee, and, and that's what made America great. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting when we talk about governing bodies and, you know, censoring speech and censoring thought. I mean, there were people that had issues about what was going on in the last two years, and as a free society, you know, some of these issues, like about masks and things, made it to the courtroom. And, you know, the people for the in, in favor of the mass, you know, the government appointed nurse would come in and they would say, well, the CDC says and that was it. The judge would be, well, there it is. And it's done. And it's like, wait a second. When did these governing bodies get, you know, whatever they say goes, despite the fact that they change their positions over and over again. And you can talk about the reasons behind why those positions change so much. I can tell you mine never did. My positions never changed. It turns out I've been right about everything. And I didn't get lucky. You know I didn't get lucky. I was making educated guesses based on my knowledge of everything that was going on, and things happened the way they should have based on my knowledge of medicine, and I'm not the only one. And the thing that should really scare people is I wasn't allowed to say it. You weren't allowed to say it. Nobody was allowed to say it. This is crazy. What are we doing right here? Um, think, speaking about doctors wanting to come out and provide care, I mean, the insurance companies are in cahoots with the government. Uh, they have arrangements that um, f 
favor uh, people that are on insurance plans because human beings in the United States are conditioned to get health insurance. They don't understand the concept that, it, you know, if you were to, you know, a lot of people are starting to realize that their care through their insurance is so awful mm. that they're starting to do the concierge medicine for their primary care needs. And they're seeing that that is much better care. Their doctors are uh, attentive to them. They have access to their doctors 24-7. The cost for medications and all these things are less. Where we need to catch up is on the surgery side because, you know, surgery, just by its nature, it has a certain cost to it. And a lot of people, you know, they don't have, you know, $2,000 laying around when something happens. But if we allowed the market to work, if we allowed people to practice medicine and figure out a way to compete uh, that price would come down to as low as it possibly could because that's what free markets do. What top-down government control bureaucracy does uh, never lowers costs because, first of all, it adds an enormous administrative component to the overall cost, and then you got people making decisions about how to deliver the care that don't know anything about it. And, I mean, I, I don't know if you heard Nancy Pelosi talking about the long convoy and let's blow them up and I don't know about these MIGs and all that. She's making decisions. She is a huge decision maker about our response. And I'm thinking to myself, you don't know the first thing about, I mean, I don't either, but my goodness, how are you, how do you have so much decision making power in something that is that important? Well, the same is true in medicine. Those same types of people that have no understanding of what we do mm -hmm. uh, are making decisions about uh, how we work, you know. Our, recently, one of the hospitals I work at uh, changed their uh, paging system for how they get a doctor. So when I'm on call for orthopedics, which I am, you know, every every so often, anything comes into the emergency room that needs orthopedics, I get contact. They're contacting the wrong number. So when they call me, I don't answer. Then they get mad. Hey, we called you. You didn't answer. I go, yes, you're calling the wrong number. Now, I've been practicing medicine for over 20 years. I've been in it for almost 30 I've never had this problem before. I used to just call the, the, the uh, operator, hey, the number I need to call is this. If I had a different number for a night, I could call, hey, tonight, call me on this number. Now this has been going on for months and months and months. They keep calling the wrong number. Apparently, I tried to have one of the people in my office change the number. Oh, no, you have to be there because they made me log into a computer. Oh, no, if, if you were to give your code to somebody else, that would be, you know, the biggest violation of, uh, you know, humankind. You would have to be, you know, punished beyond belief and your medical license would be threatened. 30 minutes. I had to go in the office and stand there while we called some bureaucrat at the hospital. Hey, I want to change my number. Okay, hang on for a second. The hospital music in the background. I'm standing there. I'm like, are you kidding me? 30 minutes just to change the phone number to call. And this took months to get done. That's just to change the phone number. How do you think they're managing uh, your, your heart transplant surgery or your liver transplant surgery? All that bureaucracy is there for everything we do, and it's absolutely insane. And if we don't get people like you in there to start giving us back our medical freedom, uh, we're in big trouble. You know, I've often shared this story uh, on this show before. You know, my first practice, I went bankrupt. And I, one of the large reasons I went bankrupt was I believed the propaganda. I was always said, oh, you're a rich doctor. So I just assumed, well, I don't know. I, I've never cared about making money. My daughter asked me years back, <clears throat> a couple years ago, she said, how did, how did you build Barber Orthopedics? And I told her, well, you know, I never set out to build Barber Orthopedics. I just set out to be the best possible doctor I could be. And I wanted to take care of people. And that was my calling. And I love it. And all of this happened 
because my goal was to take good care of people mm -hmm. and the rest of it followed. Well, I'm prohibited from doing that now in so many different ways. And when I had my first practice, we purchased an MRI. We had a huge patient base. So I thought, well, let's get an MRI. We'll be able to deliver that service to my patients. And I remember buying the MRI. We bought two. And uh, after a couple of weeks, you know, I went into my business office and I said, well, how many MRIs have we done? And, you know, she's going through the thing. and uh, Zero. I'm like, what? I have sent hundreds of people to get an MRI. What are you talking about? Well, it turns out that in the state of Georgia, only one orthopedic group in the state of Georgia that I think we know who it is that has a former politician that was uh, in charge of that group, uh, they're the only ones that were able to do MRI under Blue Cross Blue Shield. At the time in Georgia, this you know going back 15, 20 years, 70% uh, of the market share in the state of Georgia was was Blue Cross Blue Shield. So the people who sold me the MRI, they had to know. They knew, but they sold it to me anyway, knowing full well I wasn't going to be able to use it. And, you know, 20 years ago, people were way more committed to using their health insurance than, than kind of going outside the health insurance and doing their free market. I could literally go on all day long with all of these little traps and mm -hmm. methods that they use to control um, health care to strangle the supply and to keep costs up. You know, that's that's exactly what's wrong when government gets involved. It's anti-competition. Uh, certificate of need really cannot be justified. No. Uh, they always talk about it being a quality. Quality is always the, the fallback for why pricing of drugs or, or limit of, of access is is used by government. Uh, I, I thought it was very dishonest when Biden recently said, we're going to cap insulin at $35. Guess who did that? Trump. Guess who canceled it? <clears throat> Biden, and yet you're going to recreate this narrative that, that the government's to the rescue. Uh, the certificate of need has been an excuse for anti-competition. It, it should be eliminated because it's antitrust laws. Really, it should be taken to the Supreme Court, in my mind. Uh, it shouldn't be allowed. It's not allowed in most states, but it is here in Georgia. I think it's wrong. Um, anytime you, you can create competition, look, if you don't think it's to the standards that you want, then look at, read. What, what MRI machine is it? Who's reading it? I guarantee you, there's no difference, and certainly you can't you can't justify it if your certificate of need says, "Oh, it's it's a matter of quality." When your MRI machine is exactly the same MRI machine that they have, so what's your excuse now? You don't have one. What you have is a good lobbyist, and that's what matters right. in the end. And I think if you look at everything that's wrong with healthcare. And the anti-competition that's, that's being created in America, uh, our inability to serve, and you mentioned concierge uh, medicine, and, and that's why I love places that pop up. I don't care if it's an urgent care 24-7 or, or, or a physician or a surgeon that, that comes up with a new idea on how to do something. Allow that competition, allow that new model because new stuff has got to work a lot better than the stuff that we have right now. And, and quite frankly, we're on the way to bankruptcy. We our healthcare costs raised by 9.7% last year alone it is the second biggest cost of businesses in America right now as it stands. If people keep on getting frustrated at how fast their, their uh, health insurance premiums keep on going up, they will eventually get to the point where they'll demand a single-payer system. By the way, that's what I think they want to do. That's what the Democrats are angling to do. And when it happens, you're going to have the largest leap towards government controlling everything in America that you've ever had. You're talking about adding $30 trillion, conservative estimate, by the way, to our budget in the next 10 years. Everybody's freaking out. Well, you have $30 trillion of, of, of deficit right now in the United States. How are we going to pay that back? Well, first of all, we're not. 
Let's just be real about it. If you took every single person's income in America for the next five years, you're still in trouble. What, what's going to happen right now is we got we got to start having some honest discussions. And, and if we don't, we're, we're in real trouble. And, and the first thing we need to do is have pricing transparency. We've got to have be, people make decisions. You've got to invest an interest in what we do. One of the things I think is a travesty is there's no reward to good behavior. It's kind of like the immigration policy in America. I'm going to reward people who break the law. I'm going to punish the people who follow the law. How does that make any sense? Yet that's exactly what we do in immigration. We're doing the same thing with medicine. We're, we're rewarding the people who, who fall in line with the government process, which is very expensive and anti-competition based. And we punish all the people who are actually competitive and nimble and that can react to a market. And this is what's wrong with medicine. If you want to have a, a funded program that actually has competition where we could buy the drugs that make sense, where you didn't have these unfair practices between pharmaceuticals, between insurance companies and hospital systems, now we can have an honest decision about the future of medicine rather than this dishonest idea of who has the best lobbyists in D.C. Yeah, you know, it's it's really amazing. When I, when I first started doing this show and, you know, when I think about it with my children, I used to talk about, well, I want to just give you both sides of the argument and, you know, you make your own decision. And, you know, that's kind of how I approach this show. But the more I learn and the more I see, the more I realize the other side is corrupt. I mean, this is not about, uh, in my opinion, obviously, but this is not about the other side wanting to deliver more health care, universal health care. It's a human right. They're trying to tell you things to justify a government that's banning your speech. Right. It's always I need to protect you. So mm-hmm. I can't let you uh, I can't let you hear certain speech because it's dangerous. So we're going to we're going to protect you from hearing it. I can't let you you know, have an independent doctor be administering health care because they're not regulated by the FDA and the World Health Organization and the CDC because they'll do you wrong as if the government is infallible. And, you know, we were just going over the Animus River. I don't know if you remember the Animus River. Probably not because the way it was not covered. But the Animus River spill in 2015 was 3 million uh, gallons of toxic waste Uh, because the EPA was messing around with some mines in Colorado. They disturbed the mines. This waste was released into the Animus River, which flowed into Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, filled with arsenic, lead, heavy metals. The EPA was complete. The Department of Interior in 2017 reviewing this said, yes, the EPA was totally at fault, that they completely lacked the expertise to manage the the uh, mm. the process of managing these uh, buildup of toxic waste and the lack of transparency. They won't let us investigate it. We got the governor going out there going, oh, everything is fine. Nothing to see here. Media blackout. So they don't really cover it very much. And then the people who are injured by this release have no recourse. There's no ability for them to go seek out damages and things like that. I think we see a lot of parallels with a lot of the issues going on today. Of course, we don't want to bring it up so that we don't get censored (laughs) and eliminated and attacked and have our medical licenses threatened. But the point I'm trying to make is caveat emptor. Now, I know most young people out there don't know what that means, but people who are older, that's what we used to be taught. Buyer beware. Nobody looks out for your interests better than you do. And this idea that you're going to cede a power to some other government entity with the idea that they're going to be looking out for you, they certainly are not. And it's worse than that. Because these agencies can be bought off by corporatists to say that certain things are safe and other things are not safe. And we've seen it all the time. I I was doing a lot of research on the World Health Organization in the past couple of years. Turns out in 2010, they were investigated and, and found guilty of 
pharmaceutical companies going to the World Health Organization, bri- bribing these doctors to promote these phony studies on medications that they want to sell. You get the governments around the world to put money in a pot for these medical emergencies, and then they go to third world countries and dispense these medications based on fake phony data. Wow, where have we seen that before? And it's just so utterly ridiculous that... I'm like, oh, my God, I'm a doctor, and I'm actually the kind of doctor who would be open to this information. Never brought to my attention. None of my medical boards bring it up to me. Um, It's really quite something. And so I feel like what you and I are doing, this is cutting-edge stuff. If you want to know what's really happening in medicine, you need to tune into this show and other shows like it. And and what's funny about that, you mentioned the government, they're not accountable, and they're not educated. And you're talking about, you talk about Pelosi. Imagine Pelosi, or even Biden, managing a war. They've never been in the military. They've never been around the military. They don't have good advisors. I certainly think that the people who are in charge of the military right now are leftovers from the Obama administration who did not care about mission accomplishment, who cared about a certain uh, equity uh, origins and, and, and my training my last year in the military was exactly that. Most of our training centered around feelings rather than mission accomplishments, which is a travesty. And, and more to the point, if you're going to solve medicine, why would you take a guy like uh, Dr. Barber, who's summa cum laude, like my wife was, and I, I she's Vanderbilt. I was only magna cum laude. Oh, I was sorry. That was fourth. My, I, I, if I'd have been third, I would have been summa. <laughs> my wife was summa cum laude. You're magna cum laude. I'm thank the good laude. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and but you take these <clears throat> physicians who are the top of their class, who know more than any politician would ever know. You censor them. And then you make sure that you're pushing through your agenda. It's just like they, they censor military uh, experts so that you can push through your agenda, which is going to be less effective. Uh, you, you talk about no-fly zones and everything else like that. Talk to a freaking expert. I mean, if you want to know how ineffective MIGs are going to be who by pilots who are not trained in, in a base that's going to get bombed, ask me because I'll tell you. To quit talking this gibberish about that. Give the guys some stingers and go over there and put the no-fly zone on with a couple people on buildings, and you're done. It's that simple. Yeah, we are uh, we are on fire today talking about how government-run uh, healthcare is failing us, and uh, we got a lot more to discuss about that. We'll be back in just a minute after this break. You're listening to Dr. Scott Barber and Dr. Rich McCormick on America's Web Radio. Uh, we'll be right back. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Veteran-owned America's Web Radio endorses and supports Dr. Rich McCormick for Georgia's 6th District, U.S. House of Representatives. As a decorated Marine helicopter pilot, and now an emergency room doctor who served on the front lines against COVID-19, Dr. Rich McCormick has never been afraid of a fight. Whether it's communist China abroad, or the radical left in America, Rich knows the next fight facing America is to stop socialism. He's all in. Vote for Rich McCormick. 
The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank, thank, thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. You're listening to Dr. Scott Barber and Dr. Rich McCormick on America's Web Radio. Today we're talking about how government uh, bureaucracy is strangling the supply of health care, which is increasing your costs, it's uh, denying you access, and it's also affecting the quality of your health care. And we're trying to give you real-world examples of uh, how this is happening. Uh, we, we briefly talked about the 2015 Animus River uh, toxic spill. You guys should look it up. Um, the uh, EPA was uh, trying to manage some toxic waste buildup near the Animus River in Colorado, and they were messing around in there and released 3 million gallons of toxic waste with arsenic, lead, and heavy metals, and the government uh, completely covered it up. The EPA took absolutely uh, no ownership of it, even though the Department of uh, Interior concluded uh, after an investigation that the EPA was totally at fault. Uh, they prevented anybody from seeking damages about, uh, about uh, the spill. And uh, there was just a complete lack of transparency, their unwillingness to talk to us and give us the straight facts about what exactly is going on in the environment there. And anybody who tried to uh, seek out help uh, was denied was denied any standing in the courtroom. And this is the government agencies when they, you know, we think that the government agencies like the FDA and like the CDC and like the WHO and um, all these people, the EPA, that they're all looking out for us and protecting us. They're not. They're tools that are used to strangle dissenting views. They strangle supply uh, and they drive up costs. They decrease access. And I've been very frustrated. You know, people often talk to me about uh, how I've built my, my practice. And I always tell them, I could never be me today with all of the regulations, the, the way I need to um, be credentialed at hospital systems that really don't want any competition anymore. They've gone with a model of employing their physicians, and they don't want any private uh, doctors out there because it's competition for their business. Um, the credentialing process with insurance companies, I mean, if you're a single doctor, most insurance companies won't even... Um, recognize you, you won't be able to get on any panels. So if you come out of the chute, you just finish your training and let's say you graduated top of your class at Harvard, you were the, you know, you're a prodigy and you want to go out and hang a shingle, you can't do it unless you decide to do what a lot of smart people are doing, which is cash business. You have to just put the insurance companies out and it's a scary thing for a new doctor to do uh, but it, in my way of thinking it's the only way. Now one of the scary things that's happening is, um, I can just tell you, I'm speaking from my own personal experience, so for any fact-checkers out there that want to try and discredit me by you know, fact-checking me as false, which, by the way, if you ever see that, you know that when something is fact-checked false, it means almost assuredly that it's 100% true, and you just need to wait a few months. Uh, but the point is, 
I have personal experience now, 20 plus years working in a hospital and working in my surgery center. And one of the things I've real, I used to buy into this too. Well, you don't want to have any, you know, it's a good thing we got these anti-kickback rules to keep us greedy doctors uh, from, from, you know, scamming the system. And the reality is the only time the system ever gets scammed is when the government is in control. I don't scam the system. You know why? Because I have to look my patients in the eye. I don't get to hide uh, behind some kind of hospital bureaucracy. My name is on the building. So if anything goes wrong, whether it's my fault or not, it's my fault. And I would tell you I'm much more careful about things. I'll tell you something else. When I first started my training, I uh, or when I first finished my training, and I started getting out into the world and practicing, when I, just for whatever reason, maybe because I'm a big baby, but I really cared about my patient's post-operative pain. I wanted it to be zero. And over the course of my training, I had some training, you know, some doctors who would talk about it, but not a lot. You know, it's always kind of they get done with the case and then they sort of move on. And the doctor who does the surgery doesn't really go into the recovery room to see those, you know, that first half hour when a patient wakes up and they're having all this pain. And it's sort of a disconnect because they get in the habit of it. It's not what they do when, you know, as a surgeon and you work at a traditional hospital system, that patient goes to the recovery room. That's them. They do that. That's those doctors. That's those nursing. I, they don't answer to me. I don't really have, they, you know, I have some control. I can say some orders that I want to do, although less than I used to be able to do. But uh, they're the ones that handle it. And so you tend to get disconnected from that. Well, when I first got out, I would go sit there. And my patients would wake up, and a lot of them were in a lot of pain. Mm. And it used to drive me crazy, like, oh, my God, I, what do I do? How do I, how do I solve this problem? And over the years... I've gotten pretty good at managing post-operative pain, whether it be knee replacements, hip replacements, anything I do. Just by the way, I've created this thing. I shouldn't say that. I learned about this thing called the cocktail. I didn't create it. I talked to other doctors who were having similar problems because I'm not, you know, sometimes when I talk about things from my personal experience, people might get the idea that I think I'm the only one. I know I'm not. I know I'm not Picasso. I'm a master carpenter. There are a lot of people just like me, but there are also a lot of people who are not a master carpenter. But I learned about this thing called the cocktail, which is uh, anesthetic marcaine mixed with Toradol, which is an anti-inflammatory mixed with morphine, which is a narcotic. And we put it together, and now I've added uh, PRP to that, platelet-rich plasma. And whenever I do a surgery, I inject that cocktail into the field, and it helps with post-operative pain. And I have other tricks, too, for knee replacements, hip replacements. And over the years at the hospitals I've worked at, and I've been around the block in different states and everything, the nursing staff always comes to me, the ones who are in the recovery room, and they always say, your patients are noticeably have less pain than anybody else's. Whenever their, their husbands uh, or their wives needed joint replacements, they would always come to me because they knew they would see with their own eyes the way that pain control. And you know why that was? Competition. I've always had a mind for free market competition. I have to have smaller uh, wounds. I have to have prettier dressings. I have to have prettier incision sites, prettier scars. There needs to be less post-operative pain, no nausea and vomiting. It has to be a smooth situation because I control that. Now, at my surgery center, I own it all. So... I control that from beginning to end more so than I do at the hospital. And when I'm at my surgery center, let's just, let me just give you an example. I do a hip replacement. So one of the things we do when we do a hip replacement is we like to have hypotensive anesthesia. So if the it, meaning that while we're doing the case, the anesthesiologist can give medicine to the patient to keep the blood pressure down. 
Well, when the blood pressure is down, my surgical field doesn't bleed. You know, you're cutting through the skin and the subcutaneous tissue and, you know, the we fashion. all the, all the time. Yeah, you, the, the bone. Permissive. Yeah, I mean, there's bleeding that's going to happen because, you know, there's a zillion capillaries and things like that. You can't possibly, you know, obviously the big guys you, you cauterize or you tie off, but there's still a lot of bleeding from the soft tissues. Well, I mean, for 20 years, I go to the hospital and I say hypotensive anesthesia. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're doing that. And it bleeds. And I have a certain amount of blood loss that I got used to. I have since I've been at my surgery center, the bleeding is nothing. I'll get all the way down to being making my cuts and everything, and I haven't lost a drop of blood. My patients wake up. The nausea is controlled, which is a common uh, post-operative symptom people experience. Uh, the pain is, you know, zero mm -hmm. uh, in many cases or very well controlled. And the point I'm trying to make is in a free market competition, you, you, you know, you're incentivized to do that. My name is on the wall. So this idea that they try to say, well, we need to have the government manage. We need to have the FDA control. Uh, we need to have the CDC do this. You need CMS uh, regulations and all this kind of stuff is ridiculous. It is not true. Um, even the idea of kickbacks, like if I was to do business with somebody and they give me money back to use an implant, which, by the way, the hospitals do that all the time. I mean, your hospital drug formulary is totally based on kickbacks to the hospital system. That's why you see the drugs that you see. And if you're a new drug, it's very hard to get on that formulary unless, you know, you play ball. Uh, but... If you were to give me a kickback for some implant, I'm still responsible for how that patient does. So if I have a decrease in my quality, I can't do it. But if I am taking a kickback, let's just, I'm not, but let's just say I was, and I'm still able to deliver my patient a lower price and a better care and a better repair or a better surgery, and it's a better thing, what is the issue here? The people who want to maintain control of the government, they create this narrative uh, that somehow if you allow people their own freedom to deliver, you know, this free market capitalism is about greed. <laughs> it's ridiculous. The greed comes from the government administrative state, and I've seen it with my own eyes over and over again. One of the things I've noticed, uh, you, you talk about creativity, and if you're in a government system or a hospital system that doesn't allow any sort of uh, practice outside the standard of care, which can be very confusing. Standard of care means... Everybody else does it, so therefore you should do it. And what I've noticed with this this idea that, by the way, 177 people in Congress have law degrees and 15 have medical degrees, yet it's those 177 that control the laws that govern medicine right now. And like you said, you you, have, you found this cocktail that works. I found a cocktail that I found very effective with what's called an esophageal bullets, when you can't swallow and everything comes comes up. Everybody says, use glucon. Everybody knows glucon doesn't work. They try it, and then they call the surgeon in to get rid of the food bullets because it never worked, unless you just got lucky enough for it to relax and go through. It's when that sphincter right before your stomach will not relax, and that food won't go, go down, and and, and food's basically backed up your esophagus and you can't swallow anything. What I found just by thinking, okay, what relaxes smooth muscle? What relaxes your mind enough to allow that to happen? I give a cocktail. Okay, I'll give you a glucosamine because that's what we're always doing. But I'm going to give you also Bentol, which is a smooth muscle relaxer. I'm also going to give you a benzodiazepine, which can relax your, money, your mind. And all of a sudden, something happens. It works. But there's no study on it. The only motivation I have to do on something like that is if I can get published because that's what everybody cares about. How about I just practice medicine? I get rewarded by results. It's not dangerous, and I've actually made progress, and I can spread the word through through us having discussions without being limited by government telling me you better not do that because I'll slap you for doing something outside the standard of care. Standard of care is only good 
if there's no other alternatives and there's no progress ever being made. And, and, and more to the point, this is, this is why we find the, the real solutions in, in cases where you have competition, like in LASIK eye surgery, which is not paid for by insurances, by the way. It's gotten cheaper and better. Anything that's not like that has not. And, and, and this is why we use insurance totally the wrong way. I think insurance should be used catastrophically. You should have maybe a funded HSA to cover everything else so that those bigger items, like they say I need a surgery, something like that, that's catastrophic or something that, that came up that costs a lot of money. I have that funded pot of money right there, but insurance should be used for things like that, not for your everyday visits, which could be extremely cheap. Imagine using your automobile insurance to change the oil <coughs> on your car. It would cost $500 guaranteed because all the administrative overhead costs. And, and uh, if you wanted to change your blinker. Pretty, pretty soon, the oil that you would be able to use would be controlled because guaranteed. oil lobbyists would go to the people who are saying it's got to be done there, would, would, would pay to become that oil, and those costs would be passed on to you. And, and, and this is like everything had to be – If imagine the government made a rule that all your maintenance on your car had to be done through the dealership because they're the only ones that are safe yep. for your car. That's the same thing they're doing in medicine. Literally yep. the same yep. thing. So you have to go to the more expensive place to go, even though the outcome's not going to But they're the only ones that have the special training. And, and by the way, once they have that monopolistic idea that you can only go to dealership, what do you think happens to the prices? It goes up. Yeah. That's what they're doing with medicine, precisely what they're doing. They're saying you can only go to this person for this service at this price, and it's never a good price. And then add on to that the, the immense amount of government regulation and burden. Same thing with the education system. I could go on and on. Yeah. Everything the government gets involved in, the irony is we keep on turning back to the government to solve the very problems that they created. Yeah. So I would just say another thing that I'm becoming becoming acutely aware of is how scientific research is done. So you and I know through our medical training, medical school residency, we used to go to journal clubs. And the whole concept was we would read the latest uh, journal articles on whatever our specialty was. For me, it was uh, orthopedics. And you would go to journal club and you would talk about these articles and we would critique them. There would be levels of evidence. There would be bias. We would learn about these things. And sometimes we would say, you know what, this article is complete junk. It's got a lot of bias in it. It's not a great article. Is it zero information? No, it's not zero information. You add it to the pile of overall information. But there's no article that comes out, well, there it is. We don't ever need to look at this again. That's it. That never happens. But they're creating this illusion in the media that there's a new research paper that says, and you even hear people that don't even know anything about science, that have never had a science class in their life other than middle school biology where they dissected a frog, telling you, well, the studies say, what do you know about the studies? And people are conditioned to, to believe if there's a study sanctioned by government, then mm. that's the end of the story. Well, I'm here to tell you that I had a medical student come to my office, and uh, she was a medical student with me. She went away, and she's apparently doing a residency now, and she says she's doing her research paper. I was like, oh, great. What are you doing it on? She goes, I can't even remember what the whole thing was, but it was, I'm doing the effects of climate change on something in medicine, and I'm looking Gosh. at her with this, like, <laughs> what? How are you doing? You're taking something like climate change that I would argue is a complete fraud, and I, you know, I don't want to get into the whole climate change, but as a scientist... I'm old enough to remember when the cover of Time magazine was the coming ice age. Then they went to the global warming, and then that didn't work. And it was like, okay, wait a second, we're just going to call it climate change. And I'm like, wait a second, so you're saying that no matter what happens, we have to accept what you're saying. If you're a scientist and you say, hey, I want to do a research paper against climate change, uh, do you think you get any funding? No, no. So you're not going to hear those people. If you say, hey, I'm a scientist and I oppose climate change, 
do you think you get considered one of the climate scientists? No, you're labeled misinformation and a quack, and you're eliminated from the conversation. The I, I, People might remember back in the day when when people were parroting the 97% of climate scientists agree that man-made global warming is, is the problem. So I actually read the paper on that. And what it turned out was, of all the scientists they asked, which, by the way, there is no list of 100% of the climate scientists, but of all the scientists that they asked, two-thirds of them said, I have no idea. Hmm. Not Like, I don't even, I have no idea. Two-thirds. The one-third who said they had an idea, 97% of them said, I think men, man may have some effect. I think they may have some effect. And somehow the left took that to be 90% of climate scientists agree. And it's a lie, and they use it all the time, and it gets worse. The Institutional Review Board, the IRB number. Now I have a large practice, and one of the things I want to do is I want to add a research side to my practice. And guess what? I don't care about the money. I care about the knowledge, and I have the ability to do so many things because I have a big operation with PRP. I have my own surgery center. I have a hyperbaric chamber. There is a lot of stuff that I could investigate and just gather information, but I got to go through this ridiculous bureaucracy of getting an IRB number, by the way, from people who don't necessarily like the fact that I'm off on my own doing my own thing, and they're preventing the science from getting out there, and it just, the light bulb went off on my head. They're controlling everything. They're controlling the very knowledge that we have to be making our scientific decisions on. And they're creating bias in the new generation yeah. as they're coming up. You already know, oh, there is, of course, there's environmental change. Of course yeah, we exactly. Have. And it's, so it's, now every yeah. single study is biased towards yeah. what they've already geared our yeah. children or our young yeah. scientists to do, and they've weaponized these studies. Yeah. And, and there's, interesting, there's a book called The Creature from Jekyll Island. Which yeah, I've read it, yeah. The, uh, the, the Fed. The Fed being uh, reserved. And then they talk about how they've in the past used wars as an excuse to borrow and spend with big, big bank systems that, that basically fund entire governments. Once they run out of wars, the next excuse is going to be the, the environmental movement, actually. Yeah. You know, Eco-terrorism. Of course, yeah. you have to borrow money against the government. Of course, you have to go into deficit spending by trillions in order to justify saving the world, of course. And then guess what happened? We also had a pandemic. And, of course, we're going to spend $5 trillion on, on a pandemic. Of, no, on top of the money we spend that we don't have. I mean, it's like, are you kidding and did me? we make a difference? That's the that's the question. Of those governments that, that went over the top on regulation and spending, did they make a difference? Maybe in some little areas you did, absolutely. But all these, these knee-jerk reactions to things that they come up with that are always a crisis, which we are going to justify massive spending to put our children in in serious economic uh, no, no. dire consequences. So we have $6 trillion of money that we just injected into the money supply in like the shortest period of time ever. And shockingly, to the left, <laughs> we have record inflation. And now I'm list I was listening to real some uh, show on on uh, Patriot Channel. So a, a left, I mean, a right-leaning uh, radio channel. And it was some, these real clear politics guys, which I think most people would say real clear politics is... Center left. I mean, you wouldn't consider them MSNBC psychos, but uh, they're sitting there talking about having this rational conversation with, well, you know, Biden. Now that he's president, he's being hit with real life, and you know, he, you know, this inflation crisis is bad, and of course, you know, people naturally are going to blame him before he's in office, and you know, Biden doesn't have anything to do with inflation or gas prices oh in Ireland, gosh. and also they're having this rational conversation like he doesn't have anything to do with it, and I'm like, oh my god. People who don't know, like me, 
when I was just out of college listening to that, I'd be like, oh, these reasonable guys, they're on the radio, they're real clear politics guys, and I'm sure they have some economic credentials and everything. It's like, wow, Joe Biden is just a victim, and he has absolutely no role in the worst inflation in history. And it's like, you just injected $6 trillion of money we don't have into the money supply. That's the very definition of inflation. And then to sit there and say, I'm a victim, I have nothing to do with it. And people are buying this stuff. It's unbelievable. And it had nothing to do with the, 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 the these, those vicious... Uh, money-grubbing oil companies that are forcing the oil prices up. No, is absolutely all your policy, 100%. I can show you the, yeah. the on paper how that yeah. makes no sense. When you, when you shut down pipelines, you disallow by regulation production inside the United States. You become reliant on foreign governments that are not friendly to us. It's just like saying, let's go to China for our medicines during a pandemic. Makes about as much sense as going to, to Russia for oil during a war. I mean, it makes so, no, no sense. It, you know, That's so their Demi idea. Democrats have arrived on this talking point about the Keystone Pipeline. Oh, it was two years away from being done. Ignore, they know better, too. Ignoring the fact that it's not that the pipeline is even built and bringing in oil. It's the idea that it's going to be bringing in oil affects the markets in oil and brings down prices. And when you shut that down, basically Joe Biden says out loud, I'm shutting down oil production. That has a massive effect on our oil prices. And I'm just to finish this thought, it drives me crazy. I'm old enough now, you know, just like the cycle, right? Ice age, uh, global warming, climate change, the polar bear is going to be extinct. The climate fraudsters had to eliminate the polar bear as the mascot because there's so many freaking polar bears. It's ridiculous <laughs> to use it as the icon for, you know, this global warming thing. Uh, you know, you look at Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth. Every single thing he said was going to happen already came and went and didn't happen. Stop believing these people. They can't predict the weather. Anything you measure... In, it's always the modeling, right? It's always the modeling in climate change that says, oh, it's catastrophic. But when you actually measure things, it never seems to support it. Stop with the models. They did modeling through this entire pandemic that turned out to be absolutely ridiculous. We need to stop doing this stuff. Go back and look at the actual facts. Calvin Coolidge, a president that you... One of my favorites. That, yeah, and you've never heard about him because the left controls education and they would never allow you to learn about a guy like Calvin Coolidge who who created a thing you might have heard of called the Roaring Twenties. Well, who was the president who presided over the Roaring Twenties? It was Calvin Coolidge. He did tax cuts. The tax cuts resulted in increased economy and more and, and more revenue to the government. Who else did it? JFK. The JFK tax cuts, booming economy, increased revenue to the federal government. People, how can you cut taxes and get increased revenue to the federal government? Listen. If you have more people playing less money, the overall pot of money can be greater than if you have fewer people paying lots of money. A booming economy employs more people, gives you uh, more taxpayers, and overall... Uh, Clinton. Now, here's the other one I love about Clinton. So, Clinton vetoed these tax cuts three times, and then he got overridden by a Congress that was controlled by Republicans, and Clinton lost a lot of political power during the whole Monica Lewinsky thing. And so he was dragged along kicking and screaming, and then, of course, the economy booms, and the tax cuts lead to an increased revenue to the federal government. And, of course, Clinton's out there, well, when I was president and I did my tax cuts, I mean, it's like blows my mind that he gets to take credit for it when he opposed it with every fiber of his being. And then the next set of tax cuts, the Trump tax cuts, which 
decreased taxes, created the most booming economy, lowest black unemployment ever, lowest female unemployment ever. The economy was exploding. And of course, the the federal government got increased revenue. Now, that is 100 years of data that shows that decreasing taxes increases the uh, economic output of the country and, and leads to increased revenue to the federal government. Democrats hate it because they don't control the money and they don't like people who are independent because independent, flourishing, prosperous people don't need the government for a lot of stuff. And the government wants to be the ones to deliver everything from your child care to your health care. And when you die, they want to take all your money and take a chunk of it for themselves and give it to other people. Man, people need to start opening their eyes uh, to the facts of what's going on. And this is what kills me. In a very short period of time, we had, um, during the Obama years, we had the slowest economic recovery after a uh, recession ever since the Great Depression, right? Trump takes over. And listen, nothing about Trump. You hate him, love him, whatever. I'm just telling you, his tax-cutting policies led to the greatest economic boom we'd had in like 50 years. Lowest black unemployment ever, lowest female unemployment ever. Hispanic. I mean, absolutely booming economy. The second Joe Biden takes off, everything tanks. Gas prices are through the roof. The worst inflation in seven years. And people are like, oh, yeah. No, Joe had nothing to do with this. It's like, oh, my God, people. Stop letting these talking heads on TV that don't know anything or worse, they know something and they're lying to you because they want you to believe, they want you to live in a world that you're not really living in so that they can attain economic and political power. And let's talk about why is that pipeline still two years from being uh, complete? Well, because a guy named Obama canceled it. Over a decade ago, mm-hmm. that's why it would have been up and running. You, we should have look. We should have as much competition as possible. You should have more refineries in more locations. We should have nuclear power plants all over America. Because guess what? This next next uh, generation of cars that's going to be running out of electricity. If you don't have new power supplies that are clean and efficient, by the way, don't be scared of this really clean and efficient <laughs> system of nuclear power plants, which is one of the most clean, efficient uh, energy systems in the entire world. It's not going to kill birds like windmills. It's not going to uh, create fish problems like dams do, but it actually has a scary thing called nuclear in it. And people get all worked up about that. We can't have a common sense conversation yeah. anymore, just like the yeah. pipeline. I yeah. can't have a conversation that's going to actually decrease the <clears throat> amount of fossil emissions because you don't have trucks running up. Decrease the amount of spills. Decrease the to it. And by the way, caribou are going to continue to have sex because they're big 2,000-pound beasts that want to have sex. I mean, sorry, that's the studies. Yeah, no, this is the argument that they were making for the uh, pipelines in the beginning was that that uh, was going to destroy the caribou population. And then you yes. find out that the caribou are flourishing. That's my point. It's And the reason that I speak the way I do, because I never thought that I would. You know what I mean? I always thought I'd be kind of more of a, a Socratic-type method. I'd just ask questions and things of that nature. But the reality is the other side is being disingenuous. They're lying, and it's my opinion, okay, for you fact-checkers out there. I mean, we've proved lies in a lot of cases, but the point is you're not getting truthful information. And as a sentient being, as a critical thinker, it seems to me that these very educated people know better. So there's only two things that are going on. Either they don't know better, which I think is, you know, saying they're dumb, uh, I think is is more hurtful than they know better and they're just lying to you. Mm. Uh, But one of the two has to be the case. And, uh, you know, that's the problem that we're running to. I'm getting the uh, the uh, sign that we're wrapping up the show. Um, hopefully, I know we talk about a lot of other things other than healthcare, but these things are important because 
the tools that are used in these real world examples in economics and politics and things like that directly affect the way our healthcare is run. And free markets are the answer. Top-down, government-run, socialized bureaucracy is absolutely not the answer. You're listening to Dr. Scott Barber and Dr. Rich McCormick on America's Web Radio. This is the Doctor Lounge, and we'll see you next time. Rich, you'll come back. Absolutely, 100%. Thanks. All right. Catch you guys next time. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.